Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with me Alexandra Van. She is the founder and CEO of Building Capacity Behavior Intervention. She is a passionate leader and expert in the field of behavior. Alex has provided intervention services to elementary and secondary students for over 10 years within the educational and private setting as a child behavior and intervention specialist. Alex has provided comprehensive behavior intervention and tiered support to school teams for students receiving general education and special education services. While helping to support the success of students, Alex has consulted and coached teachers to better understand their journey of wellness and how taking care of yourself can help you take better care of others. Alexandra has consulted for 30 plus schools across three school districts in the greater Washington metropolitan area, holds a BA in psychology, child behavior services with a concentrate in applied behavior analysis from Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. And Alex currently resides in Southeast DC with her husband and two children. Alex, welcome to the show. Hello, this is exciting. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's just get right into it. What was childhood like for you growing up? A wild ride. <laughs> I guess when I tell my childhood story, I usually start with, I haven't seen my dad since I was seven. My parents divorced, I think, around that time. I have two siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a brother who's three years younger than me, and then I have a sister who's five years younger than me. And my father is actually Romanian, like 100% Romanian. And so he didn't gain his U.S. citizenship until I was two. So I remember, you know, it being different. And we traveled a lot. My father was a businessman, a world businessman, but he was a con artist. So he was a true con artist, if you know what a con artist is. And he was on a global market. So we had a lot of businesses. We had like a pizzeria and we had a video shop. If you remember videotapes back in the day, like you'd actually put it in the VCR kind of thing. We had a limo service and the biggest one we had was a nightclub in Miami on South beach. And that was kind of the end of our whole like luxury travel living. My dad cheated on my mom probably numerous times, but that was it. That was the end of that. So I haven't seen my dad since I was seven. So I guess you can say that I grew up with daddy issues, in a sense. (laughs) And then my mom was a single mom. She was a nurse. So I had like babysitters and men were in and out, but she tried to keep it pretty like classy, if you could say. And then my mom met this man when I was nine. So he was a single dad, I think. Yeah. He divorced his ex-wife and they had a a daughter and my mom was losing our house because my dad never paid child support. So, I mean, a a single mom working her rear end off, she was a nurse and stuff. 
he took us in. She, she was like, Oh, I found love. And you know, he basically was willing to take in a woman and three kids. And so I think that was survival mode for my mom. And so we lived with him and tried to make a family for, I want to say until I was 18. So nine years, nine or 10 years, but it was not a good family. He was abusive. So we actually grew up in a domestic violence home, which is crazy for me to think about because I never thought of it really. I don't know why, but I like pushed it to the side. So I was actually a varsity athlete. I was an advanced student. I was in all AP courses. I was in National Honor Society. Like I was thriving, quote unquote, in high school from what you could see on the outside. But on the inside, I was surviving. So it was rough and tough. And finally, one big explosive night ended it all. And I wasn't even home. I was babysitting, actually. So I think it was like something with my brother and my sister. And that's how it usually was. Something with my brother and my sister. And my stepdad didn't like it. And my mom was trying to protect everybody. And my mom stepped in multiple times where she received the punches to the face, you know. And then sometimes the kids got it. I actually never fully got it. I got a little bit, but my younger siblings got a lot more. It was emotional and it was mental and physical, but it was never sexual. Thank God. But not to say that the others are better. Like, I don't think any abuse in any capacity, but something happened. And I guess my stepfather went after my sister and my brother was trying to protect my sister. So my brother took a guitar. He had like an electric guitar and he took it over the back of my stepfather's head. And my mom came running. And so that was the end of that. And I was babysitting. So I wasn't there and they figured it out. Somebody had to get stitches. But ultimately I was like, that's it, mom. Like, this is it. I don't care. I can't do this anymore. Like I'm getting ready to go to college. I'm not going to be here. You guys still have to get through, you know, high school. You still have two other kids to raise. You really need to get out of here. I don't care who you're trying to protect anymore. Nobody's protected. So she finally reached out to my grandparents and my family and asked for help because she didn't want anybody to know what we were going through. I was like, are you crazy? Why are you not telling anybody? But it comes down to dignity and pride. So definitely. Um, it's interesting. And I wonder, you know, my next question is, do you wholeheartedly believe that that is why you are doing what you're doing today? Yes. And no, I mean, subconsciously, I would say yes, probably, but on the surface, no, not at all. I got into behavior because I truly just enjoy behavior. I want to know how people function, but with that in the back of my head, no, I do think subconsciously there are things going on. I mean, I've been into behavior for a while. My mom was a state nurse at a behavior school. And so I've, I've been visiting, you remember back in the day when they would say, take your daughter to work day, take your kid to work day. That was me. I was there every year. And so I really got into playing with the other students and learning about them. And I was like, it's cool that you're different. And that was before the days of my stepfather. But then everything just built on top of that. Gotcha. So looking back and having all of the knowledge that you have now, 
you know, this is always a huge question that we get in the domestic violence world is why do some parts of the family get abused more than other parts of the family? Having all the knowledge that you have and knowing that, you know, like you said, you didn't get the brunt of a lot of it. Is there an explanation for that is, or is that just kind of, it is what it is. And this is kind of just how it happens. I think there's a lot of factors that play into it. I can't speak on everyone's family. I can speak on mine. I tried to be out of the house more, but we were in a very controlled environment where I really wasn't allowed out. There was a lot of manipulation going on. I learned how to manipulate and lie and I was good at it. Like I could wear a smile on my face and be the sweetest thing. And I needed to get my needs met. I mean, I was the end of elementary school, middle school and high school. That's a really like predominant time of your life. Like you're going to really mold some things there. And so my brother and sister were younger. They were like elementary and middle school. Again, a time in your life. And I would say that for us, they got it more a because they were there but b because they also didn't know how to control their behavior as much like they were younger right and so as a kid you're trying to figure out like what is this emotion and what is this am i going to get in trouble am i not and i started picking up the patterns for what we were getting in trouble for and then i tried to have the avoidant behavior to that does everybody do that absolutely not <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I would say for everyone else that there are factors that play into it. Maybe that the abuser has something more towards one of the family members in a positive or negative way. But most of the time, those that are receiving the abuse really don't even know why or when it's coming, right? And that's the unfortunate part. Definitely. It's always interesting to hear the different dynamics within different relationships and especially, you know, those, you know, revolving around domestic violence, because, you know, this is, you know, like we talk about, it's a very taboo topic. Nobody really talks about these types of things. And then everybody's confused as to why, you know, you see different things within different relationships. And it's, you know, if we started talking about this more, you know, we may be able to understand the dynamics and what goes on and, you know, how to prevent these things from happening in the future. So I just find it very interesting as, you know, just the different dynamics, especially just within one family unit. So what was that first year of college like for you? You're on your own, you're out of that home, mom's out of the home. What is that first year like for you? <laughs> it was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. There's no other way to put it. And to be honest, if we back up, so I graduated high school June 2006. The final incident occurred like winter 2006 or 2005. I don't know, somewhere. We actually lived in the home for like an additional two months which was weird as hell for me. I was like, what in the world are we doing? Why are we here? Nobody talked. They didn't talk. It was just so weird to me. And I was like, is this because we need to figure out how to get on our feet? Like, is this, so it wasn't like an abrupt, we're out of here. It was like, we still have to co-live and have cohabitate together. And I don't know. That's actually my question. Does that occur in other domestic violence house, like home? I don't know. But when I got to college, 
I actually didn't like it. I hated it. I enjoyed the freedom. I just didn't know what to do with it. I had a boyfriend at the time and my boyfriend in high school was like everything to me for many reasons. And his mom also was a big rock in my life because I would go there if there was a dispute at my house. I also had a best friend and I would go stay at her house. So the fact that I didn't have two of my biggest lifelines at college, I was like, gosh, now I have to figure things out on my own. Again, I'm always figuring things out. And sometimes you just don't want things to be so challenging. You want them to be easier. So I hated college. I was recruited for field hockey. I quit the team. I think I ended up with mono. I slept most of my days away. I got a 1.9 my first semester. Mind you, I was an AP student in high school. Like I was at the top of my game. And I just was like, screw all of this. I hate life. (laughs) And then then after that, I was like, okay, well, nobody's going to feel sorry for me. And nobody's going to get anything done except for me. So I ended up transferring back home. My mom had her own place at that time. So I felt like I could go back home. Like there was a more comfortable spot for that. And then I ended up living on campus. I was like, no, I shouldn't live at home with my mom. That's weird. I'm in college. And I ended up getting a spot at a state school because I lived in a college town growing up. So I knew the spots where you could live and I made friends. I made it a semester on that campus living there and that was it. We got robbed and I was like, oh, hell no. And now I have more trauma. I can't do this. And so I was like back home with my mom. And I was like, God, when am I ever going to leave my mom? (laughs) And I finally left. I did five years of college. I left May 2011 by myself and came to Northern Virginia, D.C. And I've never looked back. I've stayed here. I felt like I needed like steps in order to really make it on my own. It's funny when other people talk, I think about, you know, my own life and while I didn't grow up in an abusive home, my parents divorced when I was 10. It was just kind of very different. It was weird and all this stuff. And so at 18, I left home and I have not been back since either. It was just, I need to get out of this house. There's a lot of dynamics going on here. So it's, it's interesting how different things can lead to the same pass of I'm going, I'm leaving and I'm done. I'm not ever coming back. So I wanted to kind of jump back. You said that you had this, you know, you had a boyfriend in college or I mean in in high school and he was your rock. Do you think that watching how your stepdad interacted with your mom and their relationship, did that impact consciously, not subconsciously, but consciously, did you monitor your own relationship saying, okay, I'm going to look for these cues and if they happen, I'm out? Or did it just kind of happen naturally of like, this is what I kind of want, what I need. And that's kind of how you guys found each other. No, he was the furthest thing from what the heck I should have had. In middle school, he was always like flirting. And I guess the boy type of flirting, because they don't know what to do, is to like rough house. So I was walking down the hall one day and he came up to me and punched me in the shoulder and left a bruise. And I was like, that hurts. That sucks. You're an asshole. I'm a lot of curse on here. Okay. And uh, I went to the nurse and she's like, you know, how'd you get this? I ended up lying in a lot of ways. And I was finding, I started finding myself lying. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like he hit me. This is what happened. So my stepdad, 
he actually like was not okay with that. He had the kid suspended. My boyfriend being the kid. We were not boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. He had him suspended. He caused an absolute uproar in my life because the school called home. The nurse called home and said, you know, Alex was punched today. I just want you to know. My stepdad was not having it. Got him suspended. Caused this whole uproar in the school. And then a few years later, after being like, you're not allowed to see each other, even though we went to school together, he came back around and was like heavy flirting with me. And I was like, this is a good attention now. You know, this is not negative or bad attention. And I liked it. And I told myself, no, this is bad. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't do this. And then somehow we ended up in a very heavy relationship for three and a half years. And he treated me very well. I mean, he came from a divorced parent, a divorced family as well. And him and his mom were amazing people. His mom was absolutely wonderful to me. And now I look back and I probably go, I loved his mom more than I probably loved him. But I caught him cheating because you're in high school and I don't know. And he had some issues himself. But I remember my grandmother telling me one time, she said, if any man ever hits you or puts his hands on you, the relationship is done. And I remembered this. And one day he did put his hands on me. He like smacked, I can't remember if he like smacked me across the face, like playing, quote unquote, playing. Or if he got mad because I caught him cheating. I mean, he did punch a door. He did slam a door because I was like, you're cheating. And this is how I know. But that was it. And I just remember that. And honestly, college killed the relationship. We were on our way out. But my stupid ass took him back after cheating. I was like, oh, I love you. You're like the perfect thing, you know. And then college just killed us. I used to do everything for him. I used to write his papers for him while he would go out and do drugs. He was a big drug. He like was the drug lord of our town. Because remember, we used to live in a college town. So he got into college. And after his first semester, he left too. We were actually at schools like two hours from each other. So I would drive to him. But I thought I was the good girl that could change the bad boy. I was the one that put up with the stupid antics, cheating, drinking, drugs. And I mean drugs, heavy drugs. But I thought I could, you know, be the person to change it all. I'm not the person to change it all, nor do I want to be. And we broke up after the first semester of college. And we still stayed friends for some stupid reason. (laughs) He ended up back in our hometown and he's friends with my brother. So they all kept running in the same drug ring. And finally I knew that it was getting so out of hand. I called his mother and I said, you need to come get your son now or he's going to die. Like he's going to overdose and he's going to die. And because him and his mom, his mom and I had such a good relationship. She listened. She was like, I'm getting in the car now and I'm picking you up. And she did. She got him into rehab. He went to rehab for, I don't know, two or three years in Florida. So. So maybe you are the good girl that changes the bad guy. (laughs) I have no idea. Thank God it's, it's done. It's over. And, and I've learned a lot of lessons from that relationship. And now I am married for six years. Wonderful. We've been together for eight or nine, not easy by any means, but because of my husband's past and my past and our family dynamics, we understand each other very well. And so we don't have to go through all the crap you go through when you're trying to figure yourself out. I feel like I found myself at a young age and my husband found himself at a young age. And that's what helps our relationship. Definitely. So jumping back to you finished college and did that, what was, 
life like just getting out of college? And, you know, did you go straight into working with your degree or did you have to like find your path to get to where you're, you're at right now? I originally started college as a bio pre-nursing major. I took five years because I did so many transitions. I ended up finishing psychology, child behavior, as you know, and the last year of school, I decided to specialize for applied behavior analysis. Ease out of their senior year, right? No, I stacked all of my hardest classes and I actually denied studying abroad in Prague just to get a special degree. So that put me ahead when I graduated and I went right into private therapy for special needs students, particularly autism. And then I was done private therapy. I said, I don't want this. I enjoy working in teams because it's very isolating one-to-one therapy. I said, I want to do this inside of schools. And so I switched into a school system and I didn't get the job I wanted off the bat because the school systems really want to like see your work, I guess. So I started off as a long-term substitute for ESOL biology, uh, students who have English as a second language. And I met my husband at that school. He was a special ed teacher and a varsity basketball coach, and I was a varsity field hockey coach. So naturally, these two coaches and teachers end up flirting and end up, you know, living a life together, and you tried not to let your students know. (laughs) which was a little difficult for us because my husband's nephew was a freshman at the high school and I was teaching him and then seeing him outside of school at my husband's family events. So, you know, there's always drama somewhere, but it worked out. It was totally fine. All the students loved us. They thought we were like the coolest thing ever in that high school, which we were. So it was fine. (laughs) I was going to say, did you have to bribe the nephew to, to keep quiet for a little while? We did, you know, and he was on the basketball team. Like our whole worlds were like just meshing and colliding. And we were like, listen, I'm going to be a little different outside of school. Like I'm actually going to be more of myself outside of school. So I just need you not to go back and say this to your kids or to your friends. Cause I teach your friends, you're a freshman in my class. Like <laughs> I am going to have to play teacher and I'm going to have to play like cool aunt in a sense, like your uncle's girlfriend. So it was cool. It was fine. It worked out. And then from there, I actually did get into a position at the next school district over Fairfax County Public Schools with my degree. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to kind of dive into child behavior and the different maybe signals or, you know, not necessarily red flags, but flags that you see that can maybe predict violence in the home. Yeah. So I worked on a lot of cases, hard priority cases in that district. And this is anywhere. This is not just, you know, Fairfax is the 10th largest school district in the nation. And it's very diverse because we have one end of the county that is right under the city. And a lot of families are pushing out into the the outskirts of the city. On the other half of the city, we have like the FBI Academy, we have the CIA. So we have some top families with, you know, children who are figuring it out either by pressure from the family to do better and be better or because not every family in person is perfect and they're hiding things in their homes. And so I would say that indicators for behavior are different for everyone. 
But the consistent thing I can say is that there is a pattern. There is always a pattern of behavior, either for the child or for the abuser. So I know one case that I worked on, we had a pattern of behavior that we finally figured out. It was so distinct. Every time that the son went with the father, he would have some very like, he would display some anxious behaviors. He would become very defiant in school. He would really try to find control and control is not a behavior, but there's behavior that children or people do to exhibit uh, control. So for example, always wanting to have the last word, always wanting to do it their way. There's like physical control and then there's like mental control, right? So if I physically grab you, I can physically control you. I can move you, right? I can grab you by the shirt. I can grab you by the neck. That's physical control. But then there's like the psychological control where I have to use my words to manipulate so that you do what I say. Does that make sense? And so kids display this and they start doing this in school because usually the environment at home is so controlled that they don't have the control. So in school, they have an outburst of trying to control the teacher, trying to control their peers, being disruptive, things of that nature. I can definitely see how that would be a sign just because you lose all control in, you know, that abusive home and school may be the only place that you can gain some sort of, you know, control and semblance in your life and, you know, understand that like, okay, this is my domain. This is where I thrive. And, you know, and then having that, that issue come up at school and, and have all of those things be there that, you know, it definitely makes sense for that. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.